topic is the Ark Part 2, and uh, the subtitle is Why Hate Sin? Why Should I Hate Sin? Oftentimes, sin is, sin is a funny thing because uh, usually the sin that we shouldn't do, um, that we want to do, we secretly like. It's like, I like it. That's why I'm doing it. And, and of the six sins that the Lord hates the most, seven that he detests, four of them have to do with words that come out of our mouth. And we're like, you know, the reason why bad words or criticizing words are coming out of my mouth is because I'm dealing with idiots and I'm trying to describe them. Oh, so I'm dealing with church people this morning. I got like 10 honest people that are like, finally a good sermon. And the rest of you guys are like, we are too holy to know what you're talking about. We always turn the other cheek. And the rest of us are like, I got two cheeks and then it's on. Uh, but then, <laughs> but then uh, there's these, there's just, everyone seems to have an Achilles heel when it comes to certain sins. And it's like, why do I even have to hate this particular sin? Uh, why do I have to hate it? And so I'm going to unpack those thoughts for you in just a minute. But uh, the reason why this series is called The Second Ark is because God had Noah build the first ark. And he said, I want you to protect your family and I want you to protect the animals. And then he had another ark built, looked just like this. And he said, I want you to protect the Ten Commandments, the ten things that I just, I hate, I abhor, and I don't want you guys to do. I want you to know exactly what they are. I want you to protect them. And so uh, I, last week was part one. This week is part two. We're going to be unpacking the whole thought process on hating sin. But before we do that, I want to talk about the inception of the Ten Commandments because that was the first time that God actually outlined things that He doesn't like. And uh, when you're in a relationship with somebody, it's important that they know what you like and, and, and vice versa. When my wife and I first started dating, uh, we played Monopoly. Bad idea! Bad idea. Because I cheat in Monopoly every time. Does anyone here cheat? I go into the game saying, oh, look, I'm going to cheat. I hide money under the board. When I count one, two, three, four, I can see I'm going to land in jail. It's like one, two, three, four, five, three, seven, nine, ten. Well, terrible counter. Um, but we got into it in Monopoly, and she was just spanking the mess out of me in Monopoly. And while she was doing it, she was talking trash about it. She was like, now how much money do you have? Oh, you only have white money. Okay. Just trash talking me. Well, she did not know that of all the things in this whole world that I hate the most is when people say they're just joking. I, of all the things, you could break into my house, throw a rock through the window, ksh, ksh, come in there and steal my sofa. I'd get over that quicker than you saying something, man, I'm just joking. Because just joking means I'm just joking, so now I get to say whatever I want. 
And you're not supposed to get mad because I'm just joking. Am I talking to anybody here? It feels awkward because I know some of you are sitting next to somebody who's always just joking and you're like... So she didn't know that. And so I stand up in the middle of the game. I leave. Gone. We're never going to talk again. I'm throwing the whole thing in the air. I'm done. Don't ever want to speak to you again. And so she comes back and she's like, look, my whole family is always just joking. We've been, this is like, I didn't know that that was a big deal to you. I'm like, okay, well now you know. She's like, okay, now I know. All right, so we got that established. And so if you talk to her, we've been married for 17 years, she will tell you the thing that I hate the most is when somebody goes, oh, man, you got a big head, dude. I'm just joking, man. You know I'm just joking. <laughs> that means you can't get mad at me for saying you had a big head because I just said that I'm just joking. I can't stand it. But that was established. And God's the same way. He's like, look, we're going to have a very close relationship here. I'm going to call you my children, but I want you to know what I like. I want you to know what I don't like. So, okay, we're going to make it abundantly clear. And so he had this conversation with Moses. When you get home today, don't read it right now, but when you get home today in Exodus chapter 19, this, is, this whole scene unfolds. And this is what it looked like. On the top of Mount Sinai, Moses is standing before God. And Moses says, I'm sorry, God says to Moses, goes, I want you to go down the mountain. I want you to go tell all my people, because Moses was the spiritual leader of the children of Israel, which was over a million people. So I want you to go down the mountain when you get down there. I want you to tell them to follow my commandments. And if they do, and all the commandments were inside of this Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant hadn't been built yet. The Ten Commandments hadn't been given yet, but they're about to be. And God says, I want you to follow my commandments. And he goes, if you do. If is a huge word. He goes, if you do, you are going to be my treasured children. My treasured children. So Moses is like, okay. So down the mountain he goes. I read about it. It takes about two hours to get up this mountain. I looked it up. Two hours, down, up, down, up. He gets to the people and he says, okay, I just met with God. And he told me to tell you that if you follow his commandments, you are going to be his treasured children. And one million people most likely in some form of unison, shouted back to Moses, go tell the Lord that whatever you say will do. Moses was ecstatic. So here he goes, all the way back up the mountain. Goes all the way up. All the way up, he's standing there, and he's up there for several days. Every time he goes up there, it only takes two hours to get up there, but he's up there for several days, waiting, 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 waiting. And he has a conversation with God. He's like, God, I told them what you told me to say, and they told me to come back to you and tell you 
They are all in. So God says, okay, go back down. (laughs) Go back down and tell them that in three days, I'm going to come talk to them myself. Moses, really? Yeah. Okay. Down the mountain he goes. All the way down. Aren't you glad that you can talk to God without anybody else? Just like, I got to talk to you because when you're driving down I-45 and some moron comes into your lane, you just want to go, Jesus! You don't want to like, hey, Pastor Frankie, uh, can you tell the Lord? You ain't got time for that. Jesus, help me, God, help me. How many of you get your life right with God every time you get on a roller coaster? God, I'm just sorry. When I was four years old, I know you saw what I did. You don't have time to go through somebody. But in those days, it was back and forth, up and down, up and down. So Moses comes to the people and says, God told me to tell you. In three days, he's coming down and he's going to talk to you. The people were like, wait a minute. We talk to you. You talk to God. God talks to you. You talk to us. I don't know if we want to meet him. Is, is there anyone here that you can kind of connect to that? It's like, think about God here. He makes planets in his spare time. Most of us can't make a paper airplane. He pulls mountains out of the ground. He thinks and creates things. And now he's saying, I'm going to meet with you Wednesday morning. God's going to, can you imagine that? It's a far leap mentally. I'm not going to ask you to get there, but wow. So anyway, three days later, at the crack of dawn, the Bible says this, there was this crack of lightning Boom! Have have you ever been sleeping at 2 o'clock in the morning? There's this huge crack. Bang! And you think, I think that was, I think it hit my roof. Have you ever thought that? Boom! Lightning! (laughs) Lightning! Thunder! And then the Bible says there was piercing blasts of trumpets. Out from the sky comes this huge pillar of fire that God's coming down through the fire. He rests on top of Mount Sinai. As he rests, smoke begins to cover the mountain and begins to billow out. More lightning, more thunder, And then another blast, this huge trumpet blast coming from heaven. The people start freaking out. They start yelling at Moses. Go talk to him. Go talk to him, the creator of the world. Like, let's just take a minute here. The creator of the universe, he breathed. You took your first breath. He thinks your heart beats. 
the creator of the world. All of a sudden, you're standing before him. Do you know you will stand before him? You're going to stand before And so this is what's happening in the room. Some people are like, can't wait. Other people are like, I can wait. Right? It's like, yes, one seat over. Ah. Full transparency, I'm in the ah category. I love them. I want to see them. Not today. Raise your hand and say, I. I'm in. I'm ready to go. Much better than the alternative. I'm a little bit nervous. We're talking about somebody who moves in fire. He directs the wind. He causes waves and says, you can flow for miles and miles, but you're going to stop right here. We're talking about the king of the universe. He started everything. And he loves you. He said, you, you, of everything I've ever done, of everything I've ever made, of every rhinoceros and everything I've ever made. You are my treasure. You. And so all of a sudden, Moses comes back. He says, all right. I went to the mountain. See, while everybody else is running away, Moses was running into it. Comes back and he says, look, I got something to tell you. And this is where I want to read one verse. He says in Exodus 20, verse 20, And Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Everybody say, Do not fear. fear. Say it again. One, two, three. For God has come to test you that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. Now that is mind-boggling. He's saying, I don't want you to fear. I know you just saw him. And what's so crazy is they didn't even see him. They just saw what happens when he's there. Wrap your head around that. When he shows up, boom! You know what's so beautiful about God? Is that he realizes that his power is so overwhelming that he holds it back for our sake. Because the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 26, verse 8, it says, I love your sanctuary, O God, for it's where your presence dwells. The same presence that I just tried to describe dwells in this sanctuary. And when we walk in, he holds himself back so that we can come in. And so you wonder why we worship, because we're recognizing that even though we are not feeling even a tenth of his presence, we recognize that we we honor his presence. And so when you come in, I want to just challenge you. Don't stand in the room like it's just any other room because you're not just in any other room. You're in the sanctuary of the God Almighty. 
And so you stand in the room and you begin to worship. And then all of a sudden he comes back and he says, I don't want you to be afraid. And then he says, but I want you to be afraid. Now what? Don't be afraid, but be afraid. Before I talk about sin, let me just make this one quick point about fearing God. The fear of the Lord is not to be afraid of God. The fear of the Lord is to be petrified of not being with Him. Because when God, this creator of the world, we're still trying to find the fish He created. Well, there's another one. He created everything, and to have that being separated from you Because we have looked at what he wants, we've looked at what he's asked for, and we've backed up and we said, no, that's not how I'm going to live my life. I was talking with somebody one time and he said, you know, my problem with God is that years and years ago I asked him when I was just a kid, that my dad wouldn't leave. And he left. You know, all of us have that prayer. Raise your hand if you've got a significant prayer that you didn't get the answer you wanted. Come on, wave, wave your hand at me. Here's the question. So now what do you do? Now what do you do? Do you back up and you say, well, you didn't answer that prayer. I know that you are that great. I know that you are that mighty. I know that you're that strong. I know that you're that powerful. But you didn't do what I asked you to do. And because you didn't do what I asked you to do, regardless of the fact of how powerful you are, how great you are, I am ticked off. And so I'm going to live my life the way I want to live my life. And because I'm still going to be better than most people, it's doubtful I'm going to hell. Is that accurate? Is that accurate or no? So I'm not going to worship. When you begin to take a position like that, two things happen. Number one, the presence that he wants to share with you, you will never experience it. Not because he doesn't want to spend time with you, but because you have made a statement you didn't reach my expectations. See, oftentimes we, are, we don't want a God. We want a servant. And if you don't serve me the way I want to be served, then I won't worship you. But this is the scariest point. Is that Kairos moments don't happen in your life anymore. See, Kronos moments we all experience. If you're wearing a watch, tap it. Come on, tap it. If you're wearing a watch, tap it. That's chronos. Click, 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 click. Seconds, minutes, hours, second minutes, hours, years, second minutes, hours, years. That's chronos. Kairos is when God steps in the middle and says, I'm about to make a moment right here. I'm going to make a moment. A moment is when my pastor's wife went to Vancouver to speak at a conference when I was 21 years old. She comes back and she goes, I met a girl and I felt like God told me, this one's for Frankie. 
I said, well, there's only one way to find out. <laughs> Red Rover, Red Rover, bring her, <laughs> bring her down. That's a Kairos moment where God steps in. How many of you have ever had a Kairos moment where God stepped in? It's like, that could not have happened if it weren't for God. There's no way that could have happened. I would have not have got that job. I would have not met that person. That would not have happened. Raise your hand and say, I, if it's ever happened. That doesn't happen anymore when you make that position and you step back. And there's a fear of God, like, God, I can't live without you. I need you to interrupt my life. I'm asking you to interrupt my life. You're the king of the world. When you say stop, everything stops. When you say go, everything goes. I need you to step in. Raise your hand and say yes. Yes. If you're new here and you're like, why is everybody yelling back? I like your voice better than mine. That's why. That's why. And so now let's unpack the whole concept of hating sin because sometimes sin is like ice cream. I know it's not good for me, but... (laughs) So this is why we hate sin. Number one, if you've got your cell phone app open, number one is sin separates. In 1 Timothy 1, verse 19, cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear because sometimes... The Lord will speak to you through your conscience. Say, go say you're sorry. And you'll think that that's the devil. <laughs> but then you know that it's God. Keep your conscience clear. Whenever you're living a lie for two, three, four weeks, two, three, four months, you're living a lie. And you're telling your conscience, shut up. Shut up. I'm doing it anyway. I'm doing it anyway. Those moments when you say, I'm doing it anyway, that's when you're telling your conscience, shut up. And this is what the scripture says. It says, for some people have deliberately violated their conscience. It was deliberate. It was purposeful. And as a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Your faith People that do that after a while, they just don't even believe anymore. And then you talk to them six months later, a year later, and you're like, hey, you want to go to church? I don't believe in that stuff anymore. Well, what happened? Well, way, 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 way back when, there was this moment where that conscious, the Spirit of the Lord spoke, and it says, shut up, I'm doing it anyway. And it was that, I'm doing it anyway, I'm doing it anyway, I'm doing it anyway, I'm doing it anyway. And after you keep saying that over and over and over again, I'm doing it anyway, guess who stops speaking? And now, all of a sudden, you back up, and your whole faith has shipwrecked. And what happens when your faith shipwrecks? Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you cannot see. And now all of a sudden, all that is gone. Now everything that you think you used to hope for and you think you used to be sure of, now you're not sure of it at all anymore. And what happened? It all goes way back to the moment where you said, I'm doing it anyway. I'm doing it anyway. I'm doing it anyway. If you have a loved one, I feel like I need to say this. If there's somebody you love in your family, a friend, 
that you know that's what's happened to them while I'm talking, you're thinking about them. I just want you to know that there's still that ember burning inside of their heart. It's not a flame like it used to be. It used to burn like a, a, uh, like a bonfire of passion, and now it's just an ember. I just want you to know that there are people in the Bible that experienced the healing, not because they prayed, but because somebody else prayed for them. It's example after example. The pressure is on you and I to say, God, when I'm holding a candle that's just got an ember and I want it to get big again, I start blowing. I put some wind on it. Lord, I need the wind of the Holy Spirit right now. I don't know where he's at and I don't know where she's at, but I need the wind of the Holy Spirit to blow on their heart, cause that ember to begin to burn on the inside of them and just know that God can do things that you can't do, but he needs you to do what he chooses not to do and that is to pray. You've got to pray. You've got to call on his name. Say, God, I need the wind. You control the wind, so control it right there on that heart. And so... The first thing that happens on why we hate sin is because sin separates. Number two, sin kills. James 1.15. Then after desire is conceived, he gives birth to sin. It's conceived. First you think about it. And then it gives birth. You actually do it. After you think about it, then you actually do it. And then when it's full grown, you've done it a few times. Now it's, not, now it's become a habit. It gives birth to death. Sin kills the closest thing it's related to. So pornography, what is that most closely related to? Is it most closely related to money? No. It's most closely related to an intimate relationship. So whatever sin, whatever the sin is most closest to is what it kills. People who are addicted to pornography typically have horrible sex lives. People who are angry, they're always angry. You ever met somebody who, they, 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 they oppose everything. You don't even need to ask them. They just, they're just angry about everything. What is that most closely related to? Is that most closely related to, to, to finances? No most closely related to significant relationships. And so what does it kill? That's what sin does. Whatever it's closest to, it just kills. This is why we hate it. It's like I hate it. I, I hate what you do to me. You suck me in and you promise me things that only God can give me. I hate what you do to me. You make me like it. You make me desire it. And then I do it and then you get me. See, sin gets you on both sides of the door. Just do it. It's not that big of a deal. Just do it. It's not that big of a deal. And then once you do, it's like, I can't believe you did that. <laughs> Am I right or not? Is it right? Say right. right. I can't believe you did that. And then you feel guilty for how long? And then once it, then you get over that whole season, the same thing happens again. It's not that big of a deal. Oh, my goodness. You think God's going to lock you out of heaven over this? My gosh, the preacher, he's just a bald-headed idiot. You don't need to listen to that guy. And then you actually do it, and you back up. I'm such an idiot. I'm such an idiot. And then hell is like, yeah, you are. Why even go to church? You're going to go there and be a fake? You see how it gets you on both sides? Man, are you glad you came to church? Say yes. 
Number three, sin blocks. Now, this is the one that really fires me up. Some of you are like, I thought you were already fired up there, pal. John 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, did I do a typo? It looks like a typo up there. You will bear much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. So watch this. God's saying, I am going to, my presence is going to flow through you. How awesome. And you are not going to bear fruit. It's not like good things are going to happen. You're going to bear a lot of fruit. A lot of good things are going to happen. But you got to stay connected to me. You work at a bank. You walk in the bank. And it's just not about punching in, punching out, crunching numbers. You're changing. You're on assignment. Some way, somehow, you're on assignment. You go to work at Exxon. You go to work at the snow cone stand. You go to work at the daycare. You walk in. There's something going on. You're a stay-at-home mom. you got kids. The most important thing you will ever do in your life is raise these kids. It's an assignment. It's a moment. No day is a throwaway day. Everything matters. He's flowing through you. He's flowing through you. It's not just your ideas. It's divine ideas. It's divine concepts. If you don't have divine concepts, you'll have evil concepts. Let me give you an example. A divine concept is full of faith and excitement. If you don't have divine concepts, you will experience evil concepts that's full of discouragement and distress. The only way to have divine concepts, that's why the Bible says that I will give you a hope in a future. You know what a hope is? (laughs) This is hope. Hope is to have an expectancy for the future. So you live like this. Something good's about to happen to me. I don't know what it is, but something good's about to happen to me. I don't know. I don't know. That's a hope. You have an expectancy for the future. That's a divine thought. If you don't have an expectancy for the future, you're dreading the future. And what is that? That's an evil thought. A dread of the future means you have no hope. You're full of discouragement and distress. It's either one or the other. There's no middle zone, is there? See, this is what sin does. Sin separates us from being connected to the vine. You know you're connected to the vine just by, just by looking at your state of mind. And when you see your state, you go, wait a minute here. I don't feel like this. I feel like this. I need to, God, I know you haven't left me. I know you haven't moved from me. But I need, I feel myself needing more of you right now. I need more of you right now. I know I need more of you right now because I'm going straight into the gutter. I'm going straight into the toilet. I feel just so depressed and down. All I want to do is just eat bluebell until I die. Have you ever been there? Whoever created Bluebell, I don't know if they're an angel or a demon. Do I preach about Bluebell every Sunday? Everybody stand to your feet for me, please.
I'd like all of our prayer partners to come down if you would. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Let me ask you, are you attached to the vine? Are you attached or, or has there been a separation somewhere? Maybe you've never been attached, but you need to be. Maybe you're in a battle right now and you need God to turn the tide. I want to encourage you to come right out of your seat right now. Don't wait for something right now, right now. Not in 10 seconds, not in seven seconds, right now. And for everybody else, there's no official dismissal. You can leave when you get ready, but I'm going to pray a blessing over your life. Father, in the name of Jesus, these are your people. These are your treasured people. Bless them, overwhelm them, pull them in, cover them. In the name of Jesus, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May his face shine down upon you. May his countenance be lifted up on you and deliver you. May the grace and peace of God be with you all the days of your life. In Jesus' name.